0: Hello, Hava City. I hope that you are keeping strong inside of this uh, very, very challenging time in which we find ourselves. This pandemic that is upon us, sweeping across the nations of the earth, and it's caused uh, devastation in a, in a sense. And um, and in South Africa, just as in many other nations, we are in a lockdown. That means that we cannot meet physically. And uh, so, actually, Krane and I had planned that uh, Zamo and I would come. Uh, and be with you in uh, you know in May this this past May, uh, and to have fellowship with you to uh, speak about issues of God and of the kingdom of God, and that cannot happen inside of this time. But I'm still very much honored to be speaking to you, though virtually. And I hope that, of course, somewhere in the future, we'll get to meet physically. Very honored to speak to you. We love you, Habba City. We cherish, um, uh, you know, the the vision of God that God has laid inside of. Grand and Michelle and we've, you know, Grant and Michelle are good friends of ours. We've had some amazing times just around the table talking about life, having fun, and talking about God and the kingdom of God. We know how much they carry you inside of their own hearts, and uh, we are really thankful for, to God for the friendship that we have with Grant and Michelle. And uh, I think that's how God works. He forms friendship, and then he takes things to the next level, which is pa- partnership. And then he allows us to be able to co-create together. And I think that is what is happening right now. So really, really very honored uh, to be speaking to you inside of this time. Uh, we had actually, uh, the plan, uh, you know, uh, we had spoken with Grant last year, towards the end of last year about coming. We're going to be dealing with issues of gospel and, and uh, systemic renewal and, and stuff like that, uh, which I think have really become even more relevant with everything that's happening, the George Floyd moment, and. You know, all of the other things that are happening across the nations of the earth. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a season of protest, and uh, we've got to look into some, some things in the Word of God to see how we, we participate or how we engage with this moment. And so that's what I'm, I'm planning to t- talk to you about. Um, I want to talk to you about, about the process of systemic renewal. Um, on the one hand, the process becomes very important to, to engaging systemic renewal, but also systemic renewal itself as a subject in the Word of God is is very, very, very important. And to kickstart this, uh, I want to read, and if you have your Bibles, please uh, open, we're going to read some scriptures, please open these scriptures together with me. I want to read Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. I'm reading this verse from the New King James. It says, whom heaven must receive. It's talking about Jesus here. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. The idea in the Scripture is that heaven must 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 receive Jesus, must must hold back Jesus, cannot release Jesus back to us until certain things are implemented. The key word that is used is the word restoration. And Bible translation uses the word restitution. Very, very powerful word. Restoration, restitution. This word means to restore something to its former condition. To restore something to its former condition. It means to reconstitute. It means to put back in its former state. To restore something to its former condition. To reconstitute or to put something back in its former state. That's what that word means. Straight away you can see the idea of renewal that is embedded inside of, inside of that word. And, and when you read the scripture, it's quite amazing that God speaks about that restitution is informed by his prophetic speaking into the earth. Which means that if we wanna engage the, the, you know, this process of systemic renewal, we, we cannot engage this process informed by the philosophies or ideologies of the world we need to go back to the prophetic speaking of God and understand what is God saying to the earth? What has he said through his word? What is he saying to Harper City? What is he saying to Livingstone's Agency, the church that Zamo and I lead? it? Um, what, what is he said to the city of Devon? What is he saying to the nation of South Africa? So that's very, very important. The people that want to engage in the process of systemic renewal have to be people who are absolutely committed to to the To God's prophetic um, word, to God's prophetic scriptures, to the prophetic cause of the kingdom of God. Very, very powerful word. This. The other scripture that I wanna um, uh, read for us is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 4. We know that the scripture is the scripture that Jesus refers to in Luke chapter 4, uh, in verses 16 to 20. I'm gonna read from Isaiah in chapter 61, verse 4. Uh, it says they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Oh, That again, this word is, is giving us the picture of a people having to engage in systemic renewal. Like I said, that word systemic meaning all of the components of, of life, of public life. Um, Uh, And the three words that are identified for us in verse 4 of Isaiah 61 are the words rebuild, restore, and renew. Rebuild, restore, and renew. Rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, and renew the ruined cities. Absolutely important. Straight away, the scripture uh, pushes us out of our personal space into the public space into the public arena. The the, the the word that is used in the Word of God um, is the word Agora, which is translated marketplace in some Bible uh, versions or, or the public square. And the public square was a powerful, powerful place. Um, it was a place uh, where people exchanged ideas. It was a place um, uh, where um, legal cases were, 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 were engaged with and uh, it was a case. It was a place where kids played. It was a place of sports. It was a place of trade. It was all of those things combined together. And God sends us to the public square or to the marketplace to rebuild things, to restore and to renew. Um, when you read Isaiah 61 from verse one, it it's, it talks about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and it says He has anointed me. And it also says, he has sent me. I I like that. That uh, um, actually we cannot engage in the process of rebuilding of restoring, of renewing without the Spirit of God being baptized in the Spirit. Without the anointing of God and without being sent. And we know that word sent is an apostolic word. Apostles are sent. An apostle is he who is sent. But not only do we have apostles we have apostolic people apostolic churches apostolic communities of faith apostles have to reproduce after themselves that's that's very very important so in other words in order to engage in this process of systemic renewal we need the spirit of god we need the anointing of god and we need to be sent people the idea of being sent is is to operate under god's authority it is to be given to his purpose, to his mission it is not to live for self, it is to live for him. That's the idea of being sent. Very, very powerful uh, scriptures. Acts 3 verse 21 and Isaiah chapter 60, uh, 61, um, that verse in verse 4. Now, when we then engage our process and think about the, the process to, of renewal, of systemic renewal, um, we, we have to think about some things that I think have have held the church back, that, that are that are the chains that are holding the church back. I think there are two things that I want to submit. That that are things that we have to break through in order to engage in the process of systemic renewal. The first is has to do with how we tend to engage the kingdom of God through the prism of personal well-being. What I generally uh, refer to as the prison of personal salvation. Uh, we have this idea that uh, I'm saved, and then that's it. That's it, that's it. You no know, praise God. That's just me. I'm saved, and, and and it's not only that. Of course, that is also equally informed, I think, by by Western thinking, by capitalistic thinking. Western, you know, thinking and capitalistic thinking um, uh, it pushes us to that place of personal, uh, you know, of, of just being concerned only with with our lives and with our households, and not really with with life out out there. And that's one thing that is, I think, holding the church back from engaging systemic renewal. The other thing that's holding church back has to do uh, from engaging systemic renewal, has to do with this idea that public activism is generally or historically associated with political revolt, uh, with communism. Uh, We 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 live in a in a in a post uh, Cold War world. uh, In this battle, this bipolar world. Uh, this battle between capitalism and communism, and in in the way that history has worked out, um, uh, issues of 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 public activ- activism, of of engaging and of of protesting, of 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 renouncing evil and systemic evils, tend to be uh, frowned upon. Um, uh, when we grew up, I remember when I grew up. Uh, the liberation movements in this country were generally labeled as terrorists. Um, it's just the way that narratives of the earth have, have unfolded over the years. And we have to be aware of that because I think inside of that context, inside of that thinking, uh, the idea is that to be a good believer is to, write, is to mind your business, is to, it is to not interfere with the, with the issues that have to do with public life. But really, we serve Jesus who has gone to the cross. And the cross is a, is a public thing. The cross was not a private matter. The cross was, was Jesus publicly facilitating renewal through personal sacrifice. And he has told us to carry our own cross, to follow him in that process and i think that's so very very important that we follow in the example of the lord jesus christ we don't have to do it like the world does it and but we certainly cannot allow a process where we are we are jailed by by uh by our personal well-being emphasis on personal well-being and stuff like that because the cross is a public um is a public cause it's it's a thing that requires us to go in the public and engage with the issues of public life. I think the other thing that um, I want to bring to our attention, which is very crucial in the understanding the concept of, 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 of systemic renewal and our engaging in the public space to bring systemic renewal, is the whole concept and principle of citizenship. Of citizenship. We know that Paul Paul uses this word citizen or citizenship a lot. Uh, when he teaches the early church in Ephesians chapter two verse nineteen, he says uh, we are fellow citizens, and that phrase "fellow citizens" really means uh, to to share a common cause in the public space. To share a common cause in the public sp- space. What is said that we're seeing right now is is the church fighting and not agreeing on issues, whether it's issues of racism, injustice, all of those things. You, go, you have to just have to go to social media, Facebook, and you're going to see uh, people not agreeing, and people having opposing views, which does not make sense if we serve the same Lord and have the same baptism. We don't have to uh, have the same uh, uh, opinion or, or thought or idea, but certainly they have to complement and agree. That's important. And so Paul uses that we are fellow citizens. Uh, We share cause in the public space. Uh, He uses this word citizen again in Philippians 1:27, and he also uses it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. So Ephesians 2:19, Philippians 1, verse 27, and Philippians 3, verse 20. In Philippians 1, 27, if you read there from the New Living Translation, the NLT, it says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Live here on earth, but as citizens of heaven. Uh, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the, go- of, of, of the good news about Christ. In other words, in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's exactly what we're talking about right now. How do we, in other words, what the scripture is really after is how do we represent uh, the ideals of the gospel of the kingdom of God in the public space? Remember, that, that word citizen that Paul uses in those scriptures, Ephesians 2.19, Philippians 1.27, Philippians 3.20, that word citizen uh, really is a word that has to do with public life. Uh, when, once, once you say a citizen, uh, it has to do with public life or life in the public space. I know that uh, we generally associate this word citizen with the idea of nation-states. I'm a citizen of South Africa. And, and and yes, it does apply in that sense. But for a moment, let's just lift it uh, uh, away from nation-state or the uh, back to the kingdom of God. And the amazing thing is that when Paul writes in Philippians 1.27, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. He is not articulating or teaching about citizenship in an abstract way. Sometimes you can say, I'm a citizen of the kingdom, but really it's an abstract, abstract uh, concept. Uh, Paul is talking about the ability to, ex- to execute public life according to the ideals of the gospel. It's amazing, uh, I think, as church, uh, part of what we suffer from is we, we, we don't always... There's this contradiction between what we believe personally and who we are in the public space. Again, you see it in social media. Uh, and and what this uh, word and this, these verses that I've referred you to are pointing to is the need to go into the public space and live out the ideals of the, of the gospel, execute them, facilitate them within the public space. Absolutely, absolutely important. And I want to I wanna take us back uh, to creation, to, to establish some principles, just a couple of principles uh, when we see God creating life initially, uh, as we further establish this principle inside of our own hearts. Um uh the one thing that we do know that God did in, in the beginning is that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, after creating us, he then gave us the administrative responsibility over earth, and that's important. Um, in I love the scripture in Psalm 1, 115, verse 16, it, it, it captures that idea of our administrative responsibility over the earth. In Psalm 115 verse 16, it says the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The earth he has given to the sons of men. Deben he has given to the sons of men. South Africa he has given to the sons of men. That word given there in the Hebrew has the idea of being granted permission to do a bunch of things. Being granted permission to do a bunch of things. And that's one thing that God has done. We are given permission to execute the kingdom, not only in our lives and in our families, but within the public space, within the agora of Deben. That's very, very important. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, we see another amazing thing. God planting us in the garden, and he says to take care of it, to work it and to take care of it. So the idea in creation is that the human was never lost in his own personal, private you know, life. He had the responsibility over uh, his surroundings, his systemic surroundings, his environmental surroundings. That's the idea that we get in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And there are two words that are very important that I want to highlight for you inside of Genesis 2:15. It says, He planted Adam in the garden to work it. And that word work there means to serve in the garden. It means to till the ground, but it also means to be a craftsman. We are really, we are called by God to be craftsmen in the city of Devon, to be craftsmen in the nation of South Africa, in the nations of the earth. It means to be a craftsman. And uh, amazingly, this word also is used to mean to worship God. So the idea of public life and of public service in creation, is directly connected to the idea of worship and devotion. Those two things are not separated. So to work it, and the other word means to care for it, which means to attend to it. Are we attending to our city, to the needs of our city? To attend to it, to encircle it, and to protect it. That's what it means. To care, mean, meaning to attend to the affairs of, of public life. Interestingly, actually, when Jesus um, establishes the, the, the church, church is a ecclesia, we know that church was a body, that word ecclesia means a body of citizens who have administrative responsibility over the affairs of life. So church cannot be separated from the issue of public renewal, of public service, of systemic um. Um, of engaging in systemic renewal. And, and in fact, even the word that I use for, for you, in, in the word citizenship that Paul uses, is really is a root word for the word politics. It's one of the root words for politics. Um, in, the, in the Greek understanding of the word politics, politics was not had nothing, had, less, had, had nothing to do with being a member of a political party. It had everything to do with uh, having a public duty because you were a citizen. And that was the idea. And so Jesus borrows those concepts, when, or those principles from the Greco-Roman world when, when he describes us, when he institutes us as, as church, as ecclesia. Absolutely, absolutely important. Um, the, the amazing thing, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, God creating us, God planting us in the garden, we know the story how we commit sin and we fall. And when God comes to evaluate and to engage with the situation, with the mess that we created, he asked us, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Which means that, uh, um, and that, that that gives us a clue of what was the currency of man uh, before the fall. It was positional life and not, and not your action, not what you did. Um, your actions had to come out of a particular position. Where are you? As important, and when you think about positional life, when well, no, I'm not talking about a title in society or in some organization, I'm talking about the heart position, a heart position, a heart position. Motive. Where are you? What have you done? So the, the interesting that God did not ask Adam where what have you done. He asked Adam where are you? Where are you? And so if we have to enter into the public space and execute the kingdom there, we have to be very aware and, uh, about the, 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 the position of our heart, about our motive, uh, about why we do what we do. Not only that, I think also relational positioning becomes important because we know that between Adam and Eve they were they, they, you know they started to have conflict, they started to fight. So the heart position and, and relational position become important. Uh, in our process uh, or in in engaging the process of systemic renewal um, as we see in the Garden of Eden. And that idea of of the position of the heart being important, of relational position, really makes me think about the generation of Joshua um, when they were arriving to take over, to, um, to possess the cities as we see the story unfold in the book of Joshua. And, and, um, and how God begins to circumcise them. We know that in the New Testament, uh, circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. We know this. Um, so we're not talking about physical circumcision, uh, which in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it was just something that was um, an issue of males, of course. Uh, you know, ladies didn't have to worry about this. Uh, but in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, uh, circumcision is circumcision of the heart. Remember, God, the first question He asks us is, what, not what, what are you doing, Is where are you? Positional question. The awareness of the motive of my heart before I engage with the place from which I execute the kingdom of God, the place from which I call for justice, for righteousness, is very important because God looks at the heart and not at our physical appearance. That's important. But it does not mean that, that uh, uh, the only thing that's important is the heart. Um, what what we're doing here is connecting the heart with our actions. It's very important because it's easy to lose these things in the public space when we are, um, uh, uh, you know, doing whatever public duties that we are passionate about. God circumcises the Joshua generation, which is a picture in the new covenant of heart um, uh, circumcision. Now, And the reason I'm I'm highlighting this was I I feel God has been laying these things out of my own heart, that that Joshua generation and the circumcision story of that Joshua generation is a picture of how he wants to circumcise, especially the youth of this nation of South Africa, uh, the younger generation. As we step into the public space, we need our hearts checked. We need our hearts circumcised. Um, uh, Again, remember, we're talking about spiritual circumcision of the heart. In Colossians 2.11, it talks about that. We have the circumcision of the heart. In Romans 2.29, we have the circumcision of the heart. Now, here's what happens in the book of Joshua as God circumcises these people. I remember this generation were uh, uh, kids that were born in the desert. They have never been to Egypt. They know Egypt by story, by, by hearing um, uh, their parents uh, telling the stories of, of what actually happened. And I think there's a generation in South Africa that uh, did not necessarily experience uh, apartheid, as in historical apartheid. We know that apartheid and, and 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 all of the stuff that happened is systemic. Some of those systemic realities are still before us. So we understand that. But uh, there's a generation that didn't leave um, uh, to see the conditions prior to 1994. I think that that generation, God is coming, or... or if you want to generalize it, the younger generation. Um, let's say, you know, the younger generation um, that God wants to circumcise. So here's what God does in Joshua um, with this generation. So these people are born in the desert. They have never been to, to Egypt. They know Egypt uh, uh, through the, the stories of the parents. And here's what God does. In Joshua chapter 1, they are mourning the death of Moses. We know that. And they are consolidating. Um if we outline the story. In Joshua chapter 2, they begin to gather intelligence about the cities. They go and collect the intelligence about the city of, of Jericho. In Joshua chapters 3 and 4, they are crossing the Red Sea. I mean uh, the River Jordan, not the Red Sea. The River Jordan. And it's, a, it's another miracle. They're seeing God doing it again, um, just as they, had, they would have heard about what God did at the Red Sea they begin to cross the river Jordan in chapters 3 and 4. And in chapter 5, when the enemy kings hear about their story and how these people have crossed the river Jordan, you can imagine the enemy kings thought that the river Jordan was their sense of security. And God, God, by miracle, helps these people to cross the river. And in chapter 5, when the enemy kings hear this, they are terrified. They are scared. And so you can can see from a military point of view, this is the moment. This is the moment to attack. Just at that time, you know, God instructs them. He says, you need to circumcise your army. He says to Joshua, this is the Gilgal moment in Joshua chapter 5. You need to circumcise your army. And you can imagine Joshua being the army general, like, wow, God, this is a time in which we need to be attacking these people. And God says, no, we need to pause and to circumcise. And he says the reason is because we need to remove the reproach of Egypt. Remember, we're looking at this story as a prophetic metaphor of some kind for, I think, the younger generation of of our nation and, and the younger generation in our churches in Harper City. Um, in in, in Livingstone's agency, uh, the church that, that we lead, uh, Zamo and I, it's it's applicable to that generation. We need to remove the reproach of Egypt. That word reproach means scorn, it means disgrace, it means shame. So God was talking about removing the shame. And remember Egypt for this generation is is a historical story. It's not a it's not it's not a it's a historical reality. It's not, they've never really encountered Egypt. But God sees the need for them to pause and to to be circumcised. So we can say that the reproach of Egypt was the memory and the historical narrative that shaped public psychology and public identity of this generation. It was still powerful enough to shape public psychology and public identity of this nation. So powerful that God saw the need to pause, to pause, uh, to halt the moment of attack and to have this generation uh, you know, circumcised. Absolutely amazing. We know in the New Testament that circumcision has to do with um, uh, change, transformation from carnal life to spiritual life. So really, circumcision is the changing of identity. It is a changing of narratives. Uh, we can think of Jesus from an earthly point of view. Jesus is a criminal who was uh, crucified by Roman authorities. But from a heaven's point of view, Jesus is a savior of the world, and so in Jesus there are these conflicting narratives, um, uh, and and um, and uh, I think when we go through circumcision, and so of course in the new covenant in the New Testament, circumcision is often uh, 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 mentioned alongside or together with baptism, the whole idea of dying in the old life and and being raised in the new life. And so what I want to submit to you, Havasity, is this, that just as we understand circumcision of the heart to mean transformation of identity and narratives in our own personal life when we get saved in Christ Jesus, so too must we engage in this collective circumcision as a collective, as a generation, as a people group to allow God to transform our narratives, to transform our identity in the public space. It's important to do this because we cannot uh, help renew Devon standing on the platforms of our earthly historical narratives. It's not possible. We need to stand upon uh, the platform of Christ. If a man is born again, if, uh, if a man is in Christ, he's a new creation. We need to stand upon the platform of new creation to then engage in the systemic evils of the day. So what circumcision does which is the circumcision of the heart, is that it allows us, it illuminates us to see the conversion of evil into righteousness. We see what uh, Joseph talks in Genesis uh, chapter 50 about what his brothers intended, which was evil, but in the midst of that, God had a a higher divine intent. So we need to redefine history. We We need to reshape the narrative of history. Um, to unleash a new, a new perspective within the cycles of the church. What okay. circumcision does is it allows us to reinterpret his historical events in a way that brings inner healing and activation in the purposes of God. To reinterpret, uh, like Joseph did for himself, he reinterpreted his history. When it, people, younger people inside of the church, inside of Harper City, standing up and reinterpreting their history. What um, yeah, circumcision does is it therefore gives us the command of identity in God, a command of identity in God. So very, very important. Um, what is amazing that you see is that once these people are circumcised, they begin to celebrate the Passover. In jo- Joshua chapter 5, verse 10, they celebrate the Passover. And we know that the Passover represents liberation, it represents newness, it represents the Exodus coming out of coming into. It represents migration. It represents opportunity. And that's what we want to see uh, inside of the younger generation, a sense of liberation from earthly, uh, bound narratives to really step into a kingdom narrative like Jesus did, like Joseph did, circumcision of the old historical life and moving into the new so we can go into the public space and do the work of God. The goal of this whole thing is, is, is found in, we can use 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The goal is that we become the righteousness of God. Here's what it says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, 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 we have to become the righteousness of God in the public space, in the public square. We are no longer of the first Adam, who represents the agency of sin in the system. But we are of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who represents the agency of righteousness in the system. And that is a powerful thing that God is calling us, hapa City, to engage in. And so I want to pray that God will, will, will circumcise your hearts. That, that, that they may step into the newness of God that they may use you um, to go into the public square into the agora, into the marketplace into into, into the systems of Debon, of South Africa and execute his kingdom there which is so very, 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 very important inside of this time. Thank you.